turn in your Bibles, if you would, in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, what we're going to be looking at is, as we consider what, what's heaven worth. It's a, an honor and a privilege to talk about heaven on Father's Day. I think about uh, the place I'm going to meet my father consciously for the first time. Many of you know I was two when he passed away, and he was 35 years old, died pretty young, leaving four small kids. My mother raised us by herself, quite a lady. I love her so much, but as we celebrate Father's Day, we often celebrate uh, that with her. And um, I think about him. He was six foot seven, big guy. Played college basketball at WT, and uh, he was a rancher, coach, and I, I wonder what it's going to be like. And when I was growing up, I, I was worried about that. I was wondering, is he going to be proud of me when I get there, the way my life turned out, the things I've done. They're going to be ashamed of me. And then I, I thought the other, am I going to be disappointed? I've been waiting all this time to meet him. Am I going to, somehow, he going to fall short of my expectations of, for a father? And the more I understand about heaven, the more I understand about eternity, the more I understand if he's not going to be proud of me there, he's not going to be proud of me anywhere because I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be like Jesus in that place. Only the perfect get in. And we don't get in because we're perfect. We get in because he, Jesus was perfect in our place. And he's going to be perfect. And I, I'm not going to have to please him. I'm not, I spent lots of my youth, even though he, he wasn't living, trying to please a father I never knew. Anybody understand that? trying to please your dad. It seems like sometimes with my kids, I, they, I'm pretty sure they think, well, I, I'm unpleasable. They'd come home with an A-, minus, and I said, why is there not an A+. Plus? And then I thought, why did I say that? A-, minus, plenty good. Especially when they came home with Bs or Cs, you know. And we think about whatever it is, however we were trying to please our father. The greatest thing about heaven is not just I'm going to meet my earthly father, but I'm going to meet my heavenly father who is already well pleased with me. Remember when the voice from heaven, when Jesus was baptized, came down, the voice from heaven said, uh, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It happened again on the Mount of Transfiguration. And He said, listen to Him, to, to Peter, James, and John. And the Father is going to be, as I approach the Heavenly Father, He's going to be well pleased with me, not because of anything I've done, but because I've made that great exchange. Jesus took my sin and gave me His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, for our sake became sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So God the Father is going to look at me like He looks at His Son. And then we know what He said about His Son, in whom I am well pleased. He's going to be well pleased with me when I get to that point. Now, I know there's some things I've done and are doing and I don't want to be doing that aren't pleasing to the Father, but I also know that He sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ because I've received the gift of salvation. I want you to do that too because I want your ticket punched to heaven and that's the only way. The only way we go to heaven is we admit that we need Him. I need Him. You need Him. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Heavenly Father. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And we believe that Jesus took our place on the cross to cover 
our sin, that forgiveness is for us. But we've got to accept that gift and we choose to follow Him. So we got to the invitation real quick. You, worship team, would you make your way? No, I'm doing we, We've got a few other things we want to discuss, but I, I want to make sure as we think about this subject together, what, what's heaven worth, that we understand. Jesus is teaching His disciples here in Matthew 13. Now, He'd been teaching the crowds from a boat. That must have been glorious. He told them parables. Told them parables like we looked at last week, like the, the wheat and the, the weeds or the wheat and the tares and the, the mustard seed and the leaven. And he'd tell them simple stories that they could relate to to kind of test their spiritual openness. Whether they wanted more. Whether their hearts were ready to receive more teaching and the disciples would come back to him and say, explain these things to us. We don't get it. There are some people in, in that instance that didn't want any more. Now, for the most part, those folks probably aren't here today, so I'm assuming because you are here, you want more and you want to hear what Jesus had to say to the disciples because he, he leaves the boat and he goes into the house again. He'd gone from the house of probably Simon and Andrew and goes out to the boat to teach the crowds and then he comes back into the, the house to teach this intimate group of disciples. And here's what he said in this, these next two parables we're going to look at. How valuable the kingdom of heaven is. Matthew uses that phrase, kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke use kingdom of God. They're interchangeable. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience that didn't say uh, the name of God flippantly. In fact, they avoided that because they thought it so holy. And, and yet, when Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven and the others talk about the kingdom of God, we know that really that's the aspect we're living in now. In these days, we've already experienced if we part of the kingdom, if we've accepted Christ into our life, that's going to continue for all of eternity. Now think about this for just a moment. Before we look at the text, when was the last time you, you stopped to consider? You ought to think about where you're headed for all eternity and what it's going to be like. You're going to be there a lot longer than you're here on this earth. And, and when we think about heaven, most of the time, even people in the church get most of their information about heaven from the movies or from a book. Or, or from culture, or even cartoons, they know more about heaven. They think they're little angels flying around with wings. I don't know where that is in the Scripture. We want our information based upon something we can trust, and that's the Bible. So we're going to look at that. But think about that for just a moment. I, I'm reminded of Huckleberry Finn. Remember, now, young people, I don't know if you still read it. Huck, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. Raise your hand, young people, if you're under 18 and you know who Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer are. Raise your hand, please. Anybody? Raise it high. I see one guy up there. We got two. So you, Maylin, you under. If you read, you ought to read The Adventures of Huck Finn. Some of these older folks around here know exactly who we're talking about because we didn't have TV when we were growing up, or at least it was black and white. Or, you know, you had to read. And so it's, it's important to understand. Huck Finn. Uh, is talking with Miss Watson, who was kind of a, oh, I don't know how to, she's a, a spinster. She was a, a uh, an old maid who was a Christian who's kind of a prude, kind of 
gal, and she said this, or he, he described what she said to him this way in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Huck says this, according to him, she says, she went on and told me all about the good place. Talking about heaven. She said all a body would have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of that. And I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there. And she said, not by considerable sight. And I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. A lot of people see heaven as a place that's boring. You're strumming a harp on clouds, eating bonbons all the time. And, and frankly, most men don't like that. What would have been attractive to a young boy like Huck, Huck Finn? Now, Huck, I said Huck. Is that Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn? I, saw, I, I put it all together. Anyway, Huck. What would have been attractive to him was if she would have related what's in the Bible about heaven. That it's a place of rivers and mountains and, and a place of gardens and, and a place of endless adventures. That's heaven from the Bible's perspective. Not strumming some harp. Lots of men don't like to think about heaven because they think it's going to be one endless sing-along. A lot of men don't like to sing, you know. <laughs> We're going to sing in heaven. I, I'm looking forward to the, that singing, but it's not just going to be singing all the time. In fact, for some men, it, it, they think it's one endless worship service. They don't want to go there. That's more like hell than heaven. They want the preacher to get over it, get through it real fast. You know, you think all of that. So we get this wrong perception of what heaven's really like. And Jesus corrects that perception. In these simple parables, like a treasure, like a pearl of great price, a merchant seeking that pearl. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. I want to share, though, a little different perspective. Charles Spurgeon wrote at the same time Mark Twain wrote about Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. He writes this about heaven. He says, to come to thee, O God is to come home from exile. These days, we talked about First Peter, you feel like you're in a strange land, or you're a stranger in a strange land, or a resident alien. You're not at home. It's not normal, whatever that is. Well, Spurgeon says heaven's like home from an exile. Now listen what else he says. To come to a land out of the raging storm. To come to rest after long labor. You know, you ever been working in your yard and you got it just right and you're just bushed because it's been hot and the sun's been beating down on you and you're tired. I remember when I used to work in the, in the fields uh, chopping cotton or uh, hoeing sugar beet. Yeah, I did that as a young boy to realize I didn't want to do that as an old man. And so I, I got an education. Young people, make sure you get an education. I know you're going to be hoeing those pine melons later this week. So you think about that as you think about that hot sun. And then, but at the end of the day, when you've got that yard just like you want, and, and you're tired, you, you, you fall into, 
into bed and you think, oh, man, I'm tired. But it's a good tired. Ever, anybody? You with me? You know a good tired when you, when you get one? That's heaven. In fact, there's a lot of things that we think, this is what heaven must be like. You ever said that? This is what heaven must be like. You, you bite into a, 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 a nice, juicy steak, and you think, this must be what, what heaven, meals in heaven are like. Old Stephen Benningfield reverse-seared me a steak on his wood pellet grill not too long ago. Whoa! I, I'd encourage you. Stephen, would you make one for everyone in this place? Yeah, he'd be glad to do that. All right? You just give him your, your address, and he'll deliver that this Father's Day for you. This must be what heaven is like. What is that for you? You see, the Scripture has some information about heaven, and we know there, there are going to be streets of gold and pearly gates and, and jeweled walls and, and those kind of things and rivers and mountains and, and garden and all of that stuff. We know some of that, and all that's good, but, but there is much, much, much about heaven that our imaginations are left to imagine. In fact, I think that's why God gave us imagination. And it's not going to be a place that, that is boring. It's not going to be a place that, uh, that we somehow are afraid of. And sometimes we, we get this idea, even as kids, that heaven, we're not going to know everybody. Where does that come from? Those people who have gone before us, we're going to know them in perfection. As we come into a relationship with them, it's going to be a continuation of not the same old thing, of the way it's supposed to be. Redeemed. Made right. We're going to meet our, our heavenly Father there. And here's what the, the Scripture says about that in Revelation 7. And I, before we get to that text, I want to share this with you. I can find it. I had it marked somewhere there. Here we are. Revelation 7, beginning with verse... Ah. Uh, 37. No, that's not it. I don't know where I did with it. It's not on the slide, Stacy. I'm sorry. Revelation 7 talks about the Lamb. I'm going to have to look at it in, in my... Yeah, what is it? Yeah. Thanks for your help. I'm glad you, got, you brought your own Bible, your own copy of Scripture. Revelation 7, I'm sorry we wasted so much time doing that. But here we are, I want you to see it. Revelation 7. Yeah, that's it. 7.17. For in the midst. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. That Lamb. Now, think about this image. That Lamb is going to be their shepherd. And He'll guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, we heard about that in Revelation 21. It's going to wipe away every tear. But now we've got this image that the Lamb is the shepherd. The one who gave his life, sacrificed his life for us, who came, became sin for us, is now our tour guide in the midst of heaven. And so when we think about heaven, let's think about what the Scripture has to say. Now would you stand and honor the reading of God's holy word as Jesus teaches those disciples and we see what the kingdom of heaven is like in these three verses. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
which a man found and covered it up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding one pearl of great price or great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's see what we can learn from these simple stories. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us opportunity to gather around it. And, Lord, we thank you that as you came to this earth, you spoke in such a way that everyone could understand. Lord, we think about heaven as a place to enjoy after we die. But help us now to be heavenly minded while we live. And to help as many people as we can to go with us. Lord, the more, the merrier, the greater the celebration. Help us. Prepare us from your word. In your whole holy name we pray amen may be seated let's look at what heaven is like there's two things here that we often would think of in this these verses heaven is like a a hidden treasure and heaven is like we often think the pearl of great price but that's not what jesus says in verses 45 and 46 it's like the merchant searching for the pearl and so jesus runs the whole gamut here as he teaches his disciples It's like the the one who just stumbles on it and discovers it and finds it, not really looking for it, maybe as far as the apathetic atheist who just somehow, some way comes across it, all the way to the person who is spiritually sensitive and seeking heaven, like the merchant who is looking for the best this life can offer. Now, I don't know where you find yourself, but I know the world out there and, and the world in your oikos is in those camps that they can they can just stumble across it. And the question I have for myself and for you is when they are around you, do they stumble across the treasure? Because the treasure, in my estimation, is the same as the pearl of great price. It is Jesus and it is heaven. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we get there. But our hope is also in the place of heaven. And it's not automatic. Will you hear me at this point? So often I hear at at funerals or wherever, people placing people in heaven automatically. You have to choose. We looked at that last week. It's not the default destination. Everyone, because of our sin, is headed toward hell. But there's been a provision made. And if you accept the gift that's been made for you and for me, you can change that course through the power of what Jesus has done for us and our accepting of that gift. Heaven must be chosen. 
Heaven is all, all the, the price has been paid. The work has been finished by Christ on the cross. But it must be received like a gift is received. A gift does you no good unless you open that gift and put it into, into practice and use that gift. And so as we talk about this, I want you to consider it, it's first and foremost like this guy who finds this treasure. I was wondering, what, what was it, it like to stumble on this treasure? Now, you know, in that day, they didn't have banks. They didn't have safe deposit boxes. They didn't have uh, armored cars or anything. They couldn't secure their valuables. And so what they did is they dug a hole and they buried them. And evidently, the, the owner of the field, at some point, whether this, the next owner uh, inherited this field, at some point, he didn't know the treasure was out there because the worker in the field, whether he was plowing or digging or doing whatever he was doing, he stumbles upon this hidden treasure. And he decides, hey, it's worth everything. Everything I can pull together. Count all my assets, all my resources, everything I have. I'm going to go sell it. I'm going to buy this field. And with that field comes this treasure. And so why does he cover it up? Is he some kind of scoundrel? No, he covers it up because he wants it for himself. He knows how valuable this is and he wants it. And he's afraid maybe the owner of the land. Now, we don't want to look too much in it. The point Jesus is trying to make is that true believers, people who are truly disciples, people who are true followers of his, true Christians, recognize the value of what they have in him and have in, in kingdom. And they're willing to give up anything and everything in order to serve the one. Him. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about sacrifice. When you think about giving things up or selling everything you have to obtain the kingdom of heaven. What is that worth to you? See, we live in this paradox, don't we? Jesus has paid it all. But remember the second part of that song? All to Him we owe. We respond with what we give back to Him after what He has done for us. And it, it's worth everything. Now is that Is that drudgery for you? Because this guy who finds the treasure, when he finds it, it's with great joy that he sells everything and purchases that field where the treasure is. Is that what it's like for you in the kingdom of God? Because that's what it's intended to be like. So often preachers make it about a bunch of do's and don'ts or or maybe you grew up in a church like that. I, we, I try not to, this preacher tries not to do that. It's, it's more. The kingdom is more. It's, it's life, abundant life, eternal. But as we think about serving the Lord and sacrificing, I, I wondered myself in this whole context, why did people like William Carey and, 
and Hudson Taylor and Lottie Moon? Why did they go to those lands to tell people about Jesus, about this treasure? You think about the day in which they did that. There wasn't modern travel. There wasn't modern communication. They couldn't stay in touch with their loved ones. There wasn't modern medicine. Many of them died on the, on the mission field in, in those days. There's still great sacrifices made all over the world in, in an effort to share Jesus, the treasure, with other people. Why do people do that? Why, why do people leave lucrative businesses to go into ministry to share the gospel? Or, or why do you sacrifice what you sacrifice to be faithful to the Lord in your tithes and your offerings and, or, and your involvement in the kingdom of God? Why? Isn't there only one reason? It's worth it. He's worth it. Everything else you give yourself to is going to fade away. Only your relationships are going to matter for all eternity. Your relationship with the Lord and the relationship that you're helping other people come to heaven with you. Your oikos, the people that God has given you, it's all we're going to have left. Everything else, moths are going to ruin, rust is going to decay, it's all going to fade away, your kids are going to fight over it after you, after you pass, you, you know, and depending on how much it is, I promise you, I've seen it over and over again, they're going to fight, who gets what? If you don't have that much, you do your giving while you're living so you'll be knowing where it's going and you think about how all of what, what's happened. Think about these two guys. One stumbles, one seeking. And think about your life. People stumble on the treasure with you. Or people who are seeking God, do they find the one true pearl in you? Oh, there's, there's so much that we could say about this. But here's what I want to, you to consider. A couple of things here as, as we wrap this up. That's always good words from a preacher, isn't it? Wrapping this up. Finally, we say it about two or three times. As we think about this, I, I want you to think about what it would cost not to follow. Not to go all in. Not to sell everything and and pursue that. Now, what, what's he? Is he saying everybody ought to sell everything and, and go and to the mission field, or everybody ought to sell everything and go into the ministry? No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying everything you have ought to be leveraged. And if there's anything that comes between you and pursuing the true treasure, Jesus Christ, and, and his kingdom, then you ought to abandon that, that whatever it is, whether it's a. a another human relationship or whether it's a job or whether it's possessions. Or, there are things, there are idols that have been exposed in our days. Think about it for just a moment. The things that, that we so have been blessed by. Uh, good jobs, financial blessing. We think about uh, entertainment and sports. We, we like all of that. We, we think about luxury and travel. All of those things for a period have been taken away from us. They are blessings from the Lord. But they can be idols and obsessions and keep us 
even our health from pursuing eternal things. What really matters. Heavenly things. True treasure. The pearl of great price. Dallas Willard writes about the cost of not following, of not going all in, of non-discipleship. And he says, think about this, what would it cost? It's not going all in costs us this abiding peace. You know, I've been concerned like you have about where we're headed as a, as a nation. And I, I think about what it means to be a good citizen. And, and one of the things I've, I've thought about in these days is I, I hope we can get to the point where we are no longer African Americans or no longer Asian Americans or no longer Mexican Americans or no longer Irish Americans or, or no longer German Americans. I'm a German American and my, my great-grandfather came over on, on a boat and I, and I drive a VW because I think Germans make great cars, you know, and I can't afford a Mercedes-Benz, so I'm driving a VW. And so when you, you think about I hope we can get to the point where we're not any of those kind of Americans, where we could just say we're Americans, period. Where do we stand as a church on the whole race issue? Hey, we call them to our staff. We call black. I don't know if y'all knew uh, Brad's black. Did you know that? He's, he's, he, and, and Ricky is what Hispanics call a weddle. He, he's a Mexican that looks like a white person, you know? <laughs> Isn't that right? And here it is, German-American. That's what we do. But, but I want you to think about something else. It's not the fact that we are Americans. If we're Christians, we are citizens of heaven. And our citizenship in heaven is above our citizenship even as Americans. We've got to live like that. Like it matters for all of eternity. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where our country's going to happen, our head and all of that, all what we do. I, I want to be a good citizen, but I want to be a good citizen of heaven first and foremost. Do you hear me? And, and so it costs us not to do that, not to be all in, not to sell everything, abiding peace, a, a life penetrated throughout by love. That's what it costs us. If we don't follow completely, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, if, if we're not sold out, it costs us hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. Our hope is in Jesus, in heaven. And, and it costs us power. Power to do what's right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, not going all in, not selling out, costs us the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. So, I want you to see one thing from the, this passage. And I close with one story. We're close, okay? So, he, here's what I want you to see. 
I want you to see these verses in 44 and 46, and I want you to think about the man and the merchant for just a moment. What's the difference in these two verses? The man who finds the hidden treasure, he goes and sells all that he has and buys. Okay? And the merchant who's looking for fine pearls, he went and sold all that he had and bought. What's the difference between the two right there? You see it? I hope you see it. You don't have to be an English teacher to see it. But the difference is the tense. The man is in the process. And that may be where some of you are. You might not have sold out. You might be walking in two worlds. You might be what the Scripture calls lukewarm. But he's in the process of getting things right. I hope you're in the process of saying this is, it's, it's that valuable. The things of God are that valuable. That my whole trajectory in life, my, all my decisions, all, all of my living, all of my giving, all of what I do is focused on the kingdom. And the merchant, look at the past tense there. You see it? The one who found the pearl of great price, it's already done. He went and sold and had and bought. It's, it's a done deal. So many of us might be at that point. Even though we struggle at various areas, we're saying we're, we're all in. At least we're saying that. At least we're moving that direction. We're all in, preacher. We're all in to this whole thing. And so the, the question is, who will you bring with you? To experience the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity. It's like this. And here's the, the final illustration for good, okay? It's like this COVID test. You think, think about this for just a moment. If you would, the COVID test, they, they run something up your nostrils. It's pretty wicked from what I understand kind of deal. Or they, if they want to test you for the antibodies, they just prick your finger. What if they just pricked your finger and knew that you were a Christian? Or they, they, they tested you with that that swab up your nostril, and they knew you were headed to heaven. It's not that way, is it? So what if there was no test for COVID? How would you know somebody had that? You would know because they would start to show the symptoms. And people know that you are infected with the good infection, infectious faith of G in Jesus Christ, the great treasure, when there's symptoms, when your life has changed, when you are full of the fruit of the Spirit, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the symptoms. And how else would you know if they had it? Well, it spread. And that's what we're called to, folks. As we go, we are infected. And we're called to be contagious. Like the leaven we looked at last week. To permeate everybody we come in contact with. With the good infection of Jesus Christ. Is your faith contagious? Are you bearing fruit? Because that's the telltale sign that you're on your way to heaven. Is that your life is bearing fruit. Not just that you prayed a prayer. Not just that you've been baptized. Not just that your name is on the church roll but that your life is bearing fruit. Because 
The great thing about heaven for all of eternity is we're going to do things that are, are, are meaningful and enjoyable. Pleasant with people that we want to be around. Made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ forever. Let's help populate it. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You for the call that You've placed on our lives. Lord, thank You for the example that You taught here of this man who stumbles on treasure and sells everything, this merchant who's looking for the best life has to offer and realizes it's not. The best is not here. The best is in the one. The one pearl, you. Lord, so often we get distracted. Consumed by other things. Or we look to you for convenience to bail us out or bless us. Instead of first and foremost, considering how you created us and you love us and you want us to be with you forever so you redeemed us and you saved us and you forgave us and you've restored us. Oh, Father, and it's not just us, it's anyone who'd come call on your name to be saved. Anyone who confess you, believe in you, turn from their sin, turn to you. So Father, I pray in these moments there'd be people who say, I want that. I surrender all to that, to the kingdom, to Jesus. There'll be people in this place who've already done that, past tense, who would help other people to understand and to surrender. Use us, Jesus, as a force for your kingdom. In your holy name we pray.